millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, I'm your fairy godmother, and this is Kill My Darlings, an interactive fantasy writing podcast. You're about to get your wish. Bippity, boppity, boo! Hello, I'm Hayden Rogers, and this week I'm going to share with you some of my ideas about wands and the associated wand law. This is an idea that I had come up with years ago for a different version, I guess, of this novel, which I never ended up writing. I've been putting this episode off for a while because I just knew it would be a bit of a tough job to adapt it for this story. But by George, I think I've done it. Just a heads up, though, you'll probably want to make sure you've listened to episode 5, Kill My Spellcasting, before you get into this one. And as always, my forever disclaimer, everything in this podcast is subject to change because that is kind of the whole point. So first up, let's look at the community feedback we've gotten over the last couple of weeks. Alan played catch up with a few episodes. He still votes for the name Pharaoh as a good name in its own right. So that's good. I'm liking it a lot too still. And I'm still looking for opinions on this though. I still want to know... Do you like Pharaoh? Does the pig thing bother you? Can it be a good name without having to lean into the pig thing? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to listen to some other episodes. For episode six, Kill My Cosmology, Zane said, My vote is for the in-between to be called the slipway and the spirit realm to be called elsewhere. And magical folk could call the material realm herewise and you could travel hereward or elseward as well as in the other directions we are more familiar with. I am kind of obsessed with this idea, particularly the directional thing. I love it. Kenya also spoke about this idea of dual names. She said, I like the idea of paired names for realms which have always been known. I always think they would have been named together as yin and yang, unless one of them has only come to light recently, which we know it hasn't. It's been known for a long time in this world. She also said something simple like here and there, or of course, fantasy words which mean here and there in an ancient language. I have to agree with both of them. I think the names should definitely go together like yin and yang, and I also am pretty into here and there, or here and elsewhere, or some variation on that. I think that's a really cute way to go. Zane actually also talked about that duality in more depth and in terms of practicality in his response, so go check that out. Alan also joined in on the episode 6 blog post describing people's real-world experiences with astral travel or something similar and points out that there are many ways to do this in different cultures or just different people's experiences. 
That was something Kenya also echoed in her comment. I found that super useful, and I'll be referring to his comment as I flesh out the in-between dream layer a bit more, um, but I'm always interested to hear more perspectives on that. He also pointed out, another thing to think about is when someone from Whipworld went to Elseways or the other world, would they be going there with their physical bodies, as in their bodies would vanish from here, or would they go there only in mind and spirit? Also, would time go in the same pace in all places? I love these little provocations, and I'll take them on board for sure. I don't have the answers right now, but they're great questions for me to take with me. We also had a couple of people begin the journey and comment on early episodes, which is exciting. Madeline commented on episode one's blog and had a lot of great stuff to say, actually, and it was great for me to revisit an earlier episode through her eyes. She pointed out something about the noir genre that I really appreciated. She said, One thing to be careful of when using a femme fatale is not to make the poor female character a scapegoat for all of the protagonist's poor decisions. The very concept of a femme fatale is that she brings disaster to a man that becomes involved with her. And I'd hate to see a female character reduced to a one-dimensional stereotype that's already meant to paint her in a very poor light. This is definitely something I'm aware of and something I'd want to even turn on its head a bit, depending on how far I go down the road of noir. On Instagram, Batara Stories has made their way through a bunch of episodes and left comments on the corresponding episode post there. On episode two's post, she liked the name Pharaoh and actually instinctively spelled it differently, which has made me realize that's kind of a, an easy solve for this whole problem. Otherwise, they've posted some nice things, which I very much appreciate, so thank you. Actually, they came up with some working titles, um, but unfortunately, I have already settled on Whipworld now. So, of course, if you want to join in the fun, just head to Hayden Rogers, that's R-O-D-G-E-R-S dot net slash killmydarlings, and comment on the blog for the episode you just listened to. Or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and I'm thinking of making a Discord. That's something I really want feedback on. Would a Discord be like the better place to be? Anyway, search for Kill My Darlings podcast on any of these platforms and you can leave your messages there. We've all heard of this most famous of magical tools, seen in the most wholesome of fairy tales to the most serious of fantasy epics. The magic wand. Just saying those words conjures up strong memories and images of fantasy stories and magical realms. Given everything we've spoken about so far, you might think this is a fantasy icon that I'd want to avoid. It's been done so many times, and I've been trying to avoid cliches. Well, that's true, but the other thing I like to do is put my own spin on things. So that's just what I've done. Now, I came up with this idea several years ago now, so the exact details of how it came to me are pretty hazy, to be honest. This time around, however, I was going through old notes in the early stages of planning for this book and found what I'd previously written. The original concept was that every person would find a wand in their lives. The wand itself was an object which enhanced a certain type of magical skill. For instance, illusion spells. And that would sort of determine where your skill set would lie. However, wands are not the ornately fashioned rods and battens that we know. 
Wands could be anything. A spatula? A teapot? A length of ribbon? A boot? A person was fated to one day come across a random object that, for them and only them, would present unique magical properties. You can cast spells through it, but it was really good at one type of magic. There's just something marvellous about the idea of a big, burly man casting spells with a hairbrush, or a middle-aged woman doing battle with a birdcage. Of course, the type of magic that particular wand was good at would be related to the object itself. So, for example, a frying pan might be particularly good at fire spells. Now, I love a lot of this idea, but given everything we spoke about in episode 5, Kill My Spellcasting, it's not particularly cohesive with the ideas already in play. Luckily, I think I've managed to adapt it, killing some darlings along the way and hopefully made it a bit more sophisticated. One of the great joys of writing is putting the puzzle pieces together and seeing them fit as if you're really putting together something that already exists. The first thing I got rid of was this idea that everyone has a wand and finding it was fated and universal. Given the semi-realistic version of fantasy I've been going for, it seems a little far-fetched, as hilarious as that sounds when you're talking about magic. But in Whipworld, we've been examining fantastical world-building in quite a non-mystical way, almost adapting the real world to be magical. So for fate to intervene and hand everyone a wand just because isn't really kosher. Secondly, the original version of the idea was based on an old concept for magic and spellcasting, where people used magic by channeling it into physical things and causing them to change or generate various effects. It's actually the version of things where the idea for recipe-like spells with pseudo-ingredients came from too. But since then, and definitely since this podcast started, that's all changed. As discussed previously, the current version is that magic is this natural energy force we interact with and spellcasting is dependent on the mind and thus very individual and varied. How can we then say that we need wands for spellcasting? They're not a part of that connection to magic anymore. So what use are they? I wondered if perhaps they could just be powerful and rare objects, imbued at random by the magical ecosystem with some fantastical effect. However, that was kind of just replacing magical items in general, and also not fulfilling the role of a wand, which is what really makes the idea a fun, unique twist on a classic concept. It all came down to the question, how do wands enhance the spellcasting process? The answer was, of course, then in the spellcasting methods we discussed in episode 5. I spoke about how casting a spell is all about being able to mentally create an effect using whatever means works best for you, which is then manifested physically by magical energy. People use different expressions of this, from mental imagery to singing, from movement to words, and in my spell examples, the process often involved a mixture of things, perhaps some objects. Perhaps these objects could be replaced by wands. Then I thought, what is a wand's purest use? Well, it's to help you cast a spell, right? And how, in Whipworld, do you become fast and powerful with your spells? Just like anything else, you practice and learn how to be as efficient as possible. It's like driving a car. When you're learning, you can be timid and stall the engine and have a jolty ride. However, after you've practiced, 
Things like using the clutch and gears become second nature and you can confidently weave through Sydney traffic. In this metaphor, the actual car is like the wand, a physical object with which we create a desired effect. So, wands are not necessarily magic at all, but mundane objects we use as familiar tools to become proficient at certain spells. Let me give you an example. Someone wants to be good at casting water-related spells. As we know, they could follow a standard spellcasting method for each of these spells, perhaps from a book of standard spells. But the best way to become efficient and powerful is through practicing and learning what works best for you. So, instead you choose to use a wand. For your water spells, the wand is a teapot, because you can always imagine water coming out of the spout, and that physical prop always gets you in the right mindset to cast a water spell. So, then when you learn more water spells, each time you incorporate the teapot into the casting, because it is associated with that type of spell for you. Wands are this X-factor thing that are highly individual to your spellcasting practice, and, going off our spellcasting rules, that casting looks different for different people. One person may say words over their teapot, and the other will do a little dance with it. If you think about it, we all connect to things. You see something and think, that's beautiful, and someone else didn't notice it. You'd be looking for that kind of connection with a wand. Following this logic, a person could have multiple wands. In fact, the serious spellcaster may have a small collection of different wands, which would essentially look like a shelf of random items. There's no fate involved, a wand is what you make it so there's no reason a wand can't be replaced. If your teapot breaks, then you can get a new one. Though you may look for one that's the same colour and size because you've gotten so used to using the one that you had for years, which you stole from your mother's good china. You'll probably have to get used to the new wand and it'll affect your spellcasting power and efficiency for a while. Of course, there'd be fashionable trends, right? Some might be embarrassed by their hodgepodge of items and buy expensive gold-plated teapots instead, or maybe even retrain themselves entirely to use handcrafted wands especially designed for certain spells. Everyone's using miniature wells made of blue gemstones to cast water spells right now. I love this idea. In many ways, wands are like spell ingredients. Except, I guess, that wands are an ingredient integrated into your practice for many spells, and therefore very valuable to you personally, while average ingredients are just a means to an end. I imagine ultimately the wand is supposed to replace ingredients. Maybe you're following a spell recipe to make your shoes shine, and that's called for a piece of beeswax. But instead, you could use your household cleaning wand, say, a spatula that reminds you of feeling domestic to adapt that spell casting. I think ultimately, ingredients are perhaps not actually causing the effects, but if people think they are, the placebo works for their mind. Again, this is very similar for wands. It's an aid, a prop, a kind of magical Swiss knife. This of course means there'd be wand stores, or perhaps magical ingredient stores that sell wand-like items, or items crafted as wands. Of course, there'd be claims that this wand will help you do this, and that wand will help you do that, but none of these claims would necessarily be true. It's all in your mind. 
except that perhaps, yes, a necklace made of glass beads shaped like water droplets may help a bunch of people focus on water spells because it literally looks like water. There'd be upper-class stores where all the wands are very pretty like that necklace, and then there'd be thrift shop-like lower-class stores crammed full of random crap where you could maybe find something that works great for you or just waste your time browsing through junk. If you don't have the money for wand shopping or just learning the ropes, you could of course just use household items. I like to think that some of the wisest magicians use the most humble of items. Side note, I still haven't decided on magicians as the term I'm going to use for magical people, or in fact if there is a term for magical people because everyone can do magic, Uh, but I'm just using it for now. This all got me thinking about where the idea of wands came from in Whipworld. What if wands were originally sticks? I've talked about how spellcasting would have various schools of thought and established methods like acting techniques. This group casts spells using body movement. This one casts them by writing descriptions. When trying to imagine something or work in the mind, we all appreciate something physical to hold on to. So wands would be pretty popular, stemming from tradition and historical use too. Maybe back in older times, and kind of in reference to medieval high fantasy, people used sticks and staffs made of wood as wands. It was seen as a physical way of controlling magic. Then, as time went on, these sticks became polished batons and sleek scepters. Eventually, society learned more about how magic works and adapted the wand method to be inclusive of all objects. This might have happened slowly through fashionable changes to wands, Perhaps people started using two wands or other wandish items like swords or arrows, and if they could use those, then you could surely use other things too. Of course, nowadays, actual wands might be seen as old-fashioned, but some people, maybe older generations, would still use them, and they still use those batons as training tools in schools because it gives you the right idea about being able to literally point the magic somewhere. Of course, you don't have to use a wand, but it is a popular tool, especially for those who want to be efficient and reliable in their spellcasting. Okay, it's story time, but just before we jump into this, I wanted to tell you about another podcast on the That's Not Canon Productions network. In case you didn't know, this is the network that I'm part of. So it's called Castology. Now, Castology is a great resource if you're in the market for something new to listen to. Uh, Each episode, they review a bunch of podcasts and break down what each one is about, taking out the guesswork for you. Recently, they've been reviewing a few literary-themed podcasts, actually. So if you like my show, you might find something else on Castology for you. And because we're on the same network, it's available in all the same places. So wherever you listen to this podcast, you can find Castology. Hopefully in the future, I'll be doing a few spotlights like this so um, I can let you know what else is out there on TNC for you. Now to the story. This week, I really just wanted to explore what it would look like taking this idea and actually putting it into words. I mean, that is kind of what I do every week, I guess. But uh, this was my first time getting to write with this idea. The story is entitled Runaways. The night was quickly chasing the day behind the hills, silhouetting the tallest trees of the forest with deep purple and red. 
down amongst the roots, the long shadows were already forming a barrier of dark, quickly closing in. A well-known trade route wound its way through these hills, and in a little valley not too far from the road, a campfire burned cheerily. The light leapt onto the surrounding trees like dancing spirits, also illuminating a humble-looking carriage with no horse and the figures of two women. One was in her twenties, firelight turning her dark olive skin and waist-length brown hair shades of orange and black. She was kneeling by the fire, tending to dinner preparations in a simple black dress, drawing a knitted blue shawl around her shoulders. The other was an old woman, with a clear family resemblance, but instead crowned with white hair, braided and then wound into a bun. She was using a log as a makeshift bench and warming herself by the fire. She too had a knitted shawl drawn about her, this one a pattern of red and pink. By her feet was a large handbag made of thick canvas, painted in a floral design. "'What are you making for us, Jada?' asked the old woman curiously. Jada, who was chopping some mushrooms, looked over at her grandmother. "'Just some soup, Gran.' "'What kind?' she replied. Jada looked at her, furrowing her brow. "'I think you should start knitting. It's dark already and this fire will attract attention.' With pursed lips, Gran took in her niece's abruptness for a moment and then nodded, smiling. "'All right, Jada, all right. I'll start knitting and you tell me what you're making.' Conversation is good for my process. Gran reached into her large floral handbag, fossicking around and pulling out a half-completed project, bundled up, and a pair of ivory knitting needles. She rolled the knitting needles between her hands as if to warm them up, before beginning to unfold the piece. It was another shawl, made from a teal yarn, about one-third completed. She fished out her ball of wool and started winding it around the needles. Jada, who had been watching her expectantly, returned to her preparations, apparently satisfied. Well, we have a bunch of mushrooms we picked yesterday and some potatoes from the last town we visited. So basically I'm just throwing those in a pot with the rest of this time. Should be decent, I think. Actually, I'll need water. Hold on. Jada reached for a wooden flute, slipped in a scabbard on her waist which would usually be for a dagger her wand. She leant over the pot in front of her and played. It began as a soft tune, pretty, with long notes ascending and descending in waves. Then it picked up tempo. The scales grew longer and higher. As they did, water began appearing in the bottom of the pot, gently swirling and swishing forward and backward in time with the music. After less than a minute, the pot was three quarters filled and Jada stopped. She put the flute back in the scabbard and dropped a pile of chopped potatoes into the pot before placing it on the fire. Sounds lovely, said Gran, the playing and the meal. Thanks, said Jada. When do you think we'll next be able to stop for fresh supplies? We're a little low. Tomorrow? Perhaps, Gran replied, adjusting the half-finished shawl. She'd barely begun to knit because she'd stopped to listen to her niece's flute. Your turn, Jada chided, gesturing to the shawl. Gran began adding stitches, and as she did, she told a story. It was a memory from when she was fourteen, or was it fifteen, and she came across an injured bird in the woods behind her uncle's house. She recalled it had yellow feathers under its wings. 
Then she remembered how the trees looked that day. Or was it night? The kinds growing there, the feel of their bark, the leaves on the ground. As she spoke and remembered and knitted, the air around them began to shimmer. It was hard to see in the night and flickering firelight, but loops and strands of ghostly, shimmering silver were weaving through the air. Once Gran had finished her story and a few rows of stitches, she stopped, taking one of the knitting needles and piercing it into the earth by her foot. The other she slid into her bun. The silver strands continued to move around them. There we are. No one will be able to see us now, Gran assured her niece. I'll just check. Jada got up from the fire and walked about ten paces beyond the boundary of ghostly silver threads. Turning around, she visibly relaxed with a sigh. She saw nothing but a dark wood, lit by whatever moonlight made its way through the branches. Stepping back through the illusion and into the light of the campfire once more, she smiled at her grandmother. Great work, Gran, as always, she said. Thank you, dear. How's the soup coming? After they had eaten, Jada unfurled her bedroll between the fire and the humble carriage. Gran, carting her big handbag to use as a pillow, eventually made her way inside the carriage. She usually slept there to save her back. The fire was left to die down to embers. Jada was drifting off to sleep, eyes drooping as she looked into the glowing coals. But wait, what was that sound? She flinched, sitting up quickly, wide awake again. Was that a horse on the road above them? Yes. She stood, heart beating wildly, eyes searching the dark wood for any sign of movement. There was silence for a moment. Perhaps it was a lone traveller risking the route at night. A tense minute went by. Jada barely dared to breathe, her muscles shaking with adrenaline. She knew that the illusion her grandmother had crafted would stop them from being seen, but it hardly calmed her nerves. If anyone ventured too close and crossed the threshold, they would be revealed. Over to her left, there was an unnatural rustle of leaves. Jada's head snapped in that direction. It must be him. She wondered if she'd have time to collect her bedroll when the shadow of a man began to emerge from the trees. It moved with a menacing slowness, deliberate and searching. Behind it came a second shadow. Jada's eyes widened in shock. He had help now. She immediately began tiptoeing towards the carriage, moving as slowly as she could make herself, despite the fact she felt she should be screaming and running. Every moment she took, the shadows got closer to them. Jada reached the carriage door and carefully clicked it open. Gran was fast asleep. Edging herself inside, Jada reached out and covered her grandmother's mouth. Gran started awake, instinctively lashing an arm out toward Jada, but stopping immediately, recognising it was her niece. Her eyes widened and she understood. Jada nodded and removed her hand. Gran's gaze suddenly flicked out the door of the carriage towards the fire. She locked eyes with Jada again, trying to communicate as much as she could with just her face, and pulled out the single needle in her bun. Jada's heart dropped into her stomach. Of course, in her panic she'd forgotten the second needle was still stuck in the earth where the illusion had been cast, holding the spell in place. Jada nodded, then leaned into her grand's ear. Be ready, she said.
Without a sound, she edged back out of the carriage, immediately clocking where the shadowy forms were, perhaps only twenty paces away, so close. Jada could see the sort of edge of the illusion, where the dim orange glow of the fire stopped lighting the leaves on the ground, and, instead, the cold light of the moon shone. And there, on the other side of the fire, was the ivory needle, poking out of the earth. She inched toward it. Every step she took, they moved closer still. Her heart was pounding so wildly, she thought they'd be able to hear it if they moved much closer. Almost there. Just a few more steps. She readied herself, knowing she'd have to make a run for it as the spell broke. A strong breeze rustled through the valley, and a shower of sparks whirled up from the fire. Jada didn't think anything of it until one of the shadows spoke in a harsh, throaty whisper. There. One shadowy figure was pointing over the other's shoulder, almost directly at Jada. Instantly, the one in front unhooked a whip from around his waist. Gran! screamed Jada, lunging forward and snatching the ivory needle. As she whirled around back to the cart, the silver threads flitted away and the orange light of the campfire spilled out into the night. Hello, ladies, the man with the whip called out menacingly, sending chills down Jada's spine. In a moment, Jada was leaping inside the carriage, but the figures were running in. The whip cracked behind her and a crackle of lightning erupted in her periphery. She could feel the heat of it against her skin. Gran's outstretched hand grabbed the second needle and immediately she started tumbling the two together in a rolling motion. The carriage sprung to life, wheels spinning forward as Gran twirled the needles. Jada reached to close the door. No, you don't, called the man's voice. Crack! Another bolt of lightning stung the air, just grazing Jada's outstretched arm as it cleaved the door from the carriage. Jada screamed. Gran spun the needles together as fast as she could. Within a few moments, the two figures, giving chase, were clearly being left behind. Jada slumped in the seat of the carriage, holding the singed flesh of her arm. Hot tears began pouring down her face as she let out a cry of frustration, pain and relief. The carriage sped off down the road into the night under the influence of Gran's twirling needles. Well, the time has come, the walrus said, to head to the blog and kill some darlings. So head over to Hayden Rogers, that's R-O-D-G-E-R-S dot net slash killmydarlings to leave your feedback and thoughts on this week's episode and kill any darlings that you'd like to. You can also leave your thoughts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. Just search for Kill My Darlings Podcast or find the links for any of these things in the description. If you'd like to email in, send it to killmydarlingspodcast at gmail.com. Also, let me know if Discord is something I should be setting up. I probably will anyway, but um, just let me know. And of course, if you like this show and you want to show your support, please consider becoming a patron of Kill My Darlings podcast on patreon.com. Again, just search that or hit the link below. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to killing some darlings with you soon. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.